Welcome to Legends from the Hill, the Franciscan University Alumni Podcast. In celebration of our 75th Jubilee year, we are talking to alumni throughout our history about who they are, what they're doing now, and their candid experiences of life on campus. We're your hosts, Christy Fleming, Director of Alumni Relations, and Megan Cohen, Class of 2010. Join us as we hear how the Franciscan spirit lives on in the lives of our alumni on Legends from the Hill. Our guest today is Annie Booth. Annie is a 2014 grad of history with a minor in legal studies. She went on and got her master's degree in criminology from Texas A&M and her JD law degree from the Thomas R. Klein School of Law of Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. She has been back working at the university in the Title IX office since August of 2019. We are excited to hear about her student experience and what she's doing on campus now. Welcome to today's episode. Unfortunately, Megan could not join us, but I am pleased to be joined. What do you mean, unfortunately? Is that, I mean, unfortunately, of course, that Megan's not here, but is it like, I guess we got to do with the second best here? We've got the the second best of the best. Okay, okay. (laughs) You know, a little podcast co-host from our friends from They That Hope. Uh, We've got our very own... 1989 alum right. and president, Father Dave. Nice to be with you. Yeah, it's good to be with you again. Thank you for uh, You're well. stepping in. It's my, oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> it's my pleasure. I'm stepping in. That's right. I, I can't totally take the response or take the place of her, but I'll do what I can. Yeah. Well, my voice is a little deeper. It is. Just yes. a little. <laughs> I'm excited for our uh, our guest today. It's in our family, our Franciscan family, somebody that is on campus with us um, here every day. So Annie, welcome and thank you for making the trek down the hill to join us. Thank you so much for having me. Um, if Just a side note, if you've ever been to campus, you might notice Annie uh, with her cute little dog that she has on campus. It's very sweet. Honeybee. She's the best. <laughs> Honeybee. I don't... I don't think I've seen this before. You don't know Honeybee? Are you serious? Do I? The Friars and Sisters come in just to say hi to Honeybee. Well, they come in and say hi to you, but while they're saying <laughs> hi to you. No, do really? I don't know what this is. I have yes. not seen Honeybee. Little Honeybee. She's a Chewini. She's about nine what pounds. She's a Chewini. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. She's a rescue. She's a, a Chihuahua and a weenie dog. Wow. All right. Very sweet. Yeah. She brings so much happiness and peace. All right. She needs to come by my office more often. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Awesome. Well, Annie, we love having our alums on um, the podcast, and we'd love to just hear kind of where from the beginning where you're from and how did you decide to come to Franciscan to study? Thank you. So I am from a big Catholic family in South Texas. And we have a couple of family friends who attended Franciscan, absolutely loved it. And I was currently in college at a different university in Texas, and I was at a family wedding, and a couple of the graduates from Franciscan were there, talked about how great it was, Um, and then I quickly went online, checked it out. I'd never been up here before, but I applied and got accepted, and then I told my parents, hey, I'm going to go to Franciscan. That's so great. So So we drove up here, sight unseen, um, and it was just the best decision I made. Wow, sight unseen. When was that? What year? I'm sorry, I missed that. That was in, I came up here in 2012. Okay, that's so cool. Wow, okay. And what were you studying down in Texas? 
So that's a really good question because I changed majors so many times. Okay. I think at that point I was political science and I was actually in ROTC as well. I was going to take a commission to go into the army. Oh, wow. Um, and I decided, you know what? I don't think that I want to do that. <laughs> it came to me really quickly. And then once I made that decision, I did not look back. All right. Franciscan it was. Yeah. Um, so you get up here sight unseen and what was life like as a student? What did you get involved in and how did you find your time here? So life as a student, um, it was, I would say lovely. That's the best description I have. Um, so I joined at that time we had a sorority on campus, um, Theta Phi Alpha. So it's a Catholic national sorority. And I met these girls at, um, the student fair. They were in the JC, they had a table and I went up and they were so nice to me. They were so welcoming. Um, from the very beginning, we just did so many fun and sweet things together. Um, so even if it's as simple as somebody's having a hard day and it'd be like, let's make cookies, you know? So it was a really having a hard day. <laughs> Do you want to make some cookies later? I want you to make some cookies. <laughs> Can I just jump in real quick? And that's really cool to hear. And, and obviously I know any story, uh, but that's really cool that, that, Let's just put the cards on the table. Sometimes the sororities and fraternities traditionally have not always got the best rep. Sometimes deservedly so. Mm -hmm. But the other point is that I've met so many people. I was just out at, at South Bend at an alumni event that we did. And one of the guys was in fraternity. And he just talked about what his experience was and how important it was in the university and how those friendships are still friendships that he has. He's sending his kids to the university. He sent two or three there already. So I, I think the fact that you can represent that well is, is an important thing. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really an amazing experience. And I met one of my best friends that way. She had such an incredible story and I'm better for knowing her. So. That's cool. Hmm. I love that. We haven't had a sorority uh, member. What was yet. your major? <laughs> so here yeah. it was history with a minor in legal studies. Okay. Okay. Uh, I see, I see the writing on the wall. And there we go. Yeah. And what did you want to do with that, Annie? <laughs> so I wanted to go to law school with that. Okay. Um, I knew that there were a couple steps that I wanted to take before I got to law school, a couple things I wanted to do. Um, I did, right after I graduated, I did a brief uh, postgraduate internship with a lobbying firm in D.C. Um, really enjoyed that. And then I went home to Texas and I got my master's. And during that time, I worked at the university and I worked for a state judge. And then right after that, I just went straight up to Duquesne in Pittsburgh um, and started um, my law school days. Oh my gosh. So you did your master's and then law school. Yes. Is that typical? Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> okay. I, my mom did it and my mom actually did even more education than that, but she, she did it. And ever since I was a kid, I was like, I know I don't have to do that to get to law school, but I wanted to, hmm. um, I really wanted to be a lot like her. So cool. <laughs> would you I'm like us to call you Dr. Booth? You know what? John Pizzuti and I have this conversation all yeah, the time yeah. because we could be called doctor. Absolutely. And could. so sometimes we do it to each other just so that, you know, we get the recognition we deserve. No, actually, it, it's really funny because you obviously got you've got a JD, you've got a doctorate. But for some reason or another, there's no history. Mm -hmm. Although there used to be somebody here at the university that had a law degree and he had everybody call him doctor. So I might call you doctor every now and then. You know what? I'd appreciate that. Uh, it's the least I could do. <laughs> And okay, so grad school, law school, did you kind of have an idea of what you wanted to do with your degree or did that come through a variety of steps? 
So um, I always knew that I wanted to work um, with survivors of sexual violence. And in law school, I did a few different internships um, that were focused on that. So I worked for the um, United States Attorney's Office and specifically with one of the prosecutors who handled sex trafficking offenses of a minor. Um, I worked with the Attorney General's Office in Texas. They had that unit is called the Human Trafficking and Transnational Crimes Unit. Um, so I got to do an internship with them um, focused on sex trafficking and in, in you know, particular. Um, and then I got to work with a federal judge as well. Um, but that was kind of a wide variety of issues. But I always knew that that was the direction and that I wanted to, um, I wanted to help people um, in these particular types of situations. And um, then in my third year in law school, I encountered the Title IX coordinator. And she, you know, was this very competent attorney who was really good at explaining um, what the process looked like or, or what she could do and in what way she could help. And um, that maybe, right there. Maybe you're going to go here, Christy. There's, I'm sure there's people who have no idea what Title Line is. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so maybe just talk a little bit. Obviously, we do because we live in this world, but right. there's probably a large popula population who have no idea what that is. Right. So, you know, as a Title IX coordinator, I oversee our policy on discrimination, harassment, and sexual misconduct. Um, and Title IX is a federal law that prohibits um, sex-based discrimination at universities who receive federal financial funding. Um, so um, that includes sexual harassment, dating and domestic violence, stalking. Um, and then our policy includes um, additional protections afforded by federal law. So um, yeah, so she, when I met the Title IX coordinator at Duquesne, um, she was overseeing um, complaints of sexual assault. Um, and I never knew that that was that was even a career option for an attorney. Mm. Um, I just really wasn't familiar with Title IX. Like you said, a lot of people aren't familiar with right, it. And right. there wasn't like a particular class in law school where they talked about Title IX. Um, at I least feel like I remember I hearing a lot about it with sports, like women's equality in sports right, and all right. of that, but not the bigger picture of everything. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So um, seeing... Um, seeing that that was an opportunity, I thought, wow, like this person gets to interact one-on-one -on -one with students and assist um, in to make sure that people's educational experiences are kept as positive um, and as, like, you know, they're as safeguarded as possible. Um, so, you know, I wanted to, I really wanted to do that. And uh, and what is the value of that? Like if you, so you say, oh, I didn't know that a lawyer could do that. What is the value of having a lawyer in that position opposed to somebody else? Oh, well, that's a, that's a nice question. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, the benefits of having a legal background, um, understanding the laws that we are making sure that our, you know, universities are compliant with um, and, um, you know, having this sense of, you know, I'm really interested in making sure we follow the laws and, and regulations and doing the right thing, um, which I'm sure every Title IX coordinator, you know, most of them are <laughs> worried about doing the right thing and being compliant. But I think just having an attorney, just having somebody who's... who's yeah, uh, I'm going to jump in. So, yeah, sorry. So, well, no, because kind of in a strange way that the university works, 
Annie actually reports to me and it's, it's, she has other people that she works with, but one of the things that's important is that the Title IX officer has direct access to the president. So this was something, you came in 2019, is that right? Yes. So at the same time we did, right. we, we came in together. Mm-hmm. We're shaking hands for those who didn't see that. <laughs> but the, the thing is, is uh, first off, I think that's really important is that Annie is directly reporting to me and she has access to me anytime she wants. But as the president, the fact that she's an attorney, I just love that because she she understands the law. She understands the regulations. There's just this great amount of confidence that I have. I mean, even little things like she's going to take it. I've got a degree in law, not like she does, but <laughs> but she, she understands evidence and she understands how one gathers evidence and how one uses evidence and all those kinds of things where maybe other Title IX coordinators would maybe know some of that, but you, you've been trained in that. And that's just... For me as a president, having Annie here, there's just a great confidence in that, that I'm, I'm really confident that what she does, she's going to do well, mm-hmm. and she's going to follow the law. Could I ask a question about this? Just It's like kind of a curveball. Yeah. Did you see this as ministry? Thank you so much for bringing that up. I did not until one of the friars came into my office the second year I was working here uh-huh. and said... Um, that this was, he, he thanked me for my ministry. Yeah. And I told him I had never, I'd never thought of it that way. And no one had ever mentioned it to me mm. like that. Um, but when he did, it just made me feel so much better about what I'm doing here. Um, because I do feel like I've committed my life, you know, to, and it just feels really good having someone refer to it as well. And, and I really think it is. And, and Annie and I had occasion, they invited me to be a part of a, a healing service that we did at Christ the King one time. And mm-hmm. they just invited me to give a reflection. And I think it was during sexual abuse awareness week. Is um, that right? Sexual assault awareness month. Okay. Month. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just first off, just being a part of that was, was really beautiful. And I was very honored and humbled to be able to do that. But it, it occurred to me then, and, and just as you were sharing your story again, it occurred to me that so much of what you do, yes, you've got the, the logistics and those kinds of things, but you're really meeting people where they're vulnerable and, um, it, it's really, it is a beautiful ministry. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. And we don't just want to respond to, um, you know, allegations of discrimination, harassment, sexual misconduct. We're really interested in the person and helping them in, to heal in the best way possible for them. Cause you know, mm-hmm. we all, you know, require different things and different ways to, to heal our pain, our trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just, we really try to, to help everybody, um, get the type of healing that they need. Great. Well, I, I definitely want to get to that of all the incredible, really, yeah, ministries and opportunities that you have on campus. Um, but can you tell us kind of how you got here? And maybe if it, you guys got here at the same time, you can kind of share the value that you bring and brought and the importance of the time of that. Like, how did you choose to come back to your alma mater rather than go someplace else? Yeah. No, that's a good question. So when I figured out um, in my last year of law school, I figured out that this was, you know, this was a career path for an attorney. I got immediately got online and I and I told myself, I said, there's no way, but I'm going to look up and see if Franciscan has an opening for this. And no, I'm like, they never, everybody wants to work at Franciscan, right? Like there is not going to be a position for me, but I'm going to check. Um, and I went on and it was open and I thought, okay, this is a sign. This is it. Um, and two, you know, I saw it as the university was, is constantly making efforts. And I know this cause I'm, I 
you know, I'm going to put myself in this category too, but constantly evolving and trying to adapt to the best practices possible when we're dealing with these types of issues. Um, so this was another attempt um, or another action that the university took um, to hire somebody full-time dedicated to this, you know, all of their, the efforts for um, responding to policy violations, you know, this was an effort on behalf of the university. And um, I was really um proud to be a part of that yeah and i just think of when i came in we met the first that summer yeah it was the first time we met and it was just again this was all when i first came to the university i felt like i was drinking out of a of a fire hydrant but just being able to sit down with annie and talk a little bit about what her role is and i I remember when i was here previously there was not a title nine officer as such so it just it was, it was made clear to me first off because I had met with the board of trustees and the part of this was that came about of a report that the university had done and on some areas that the university needed to just step up its game more and um, use worse best practices, be able to have best practices. And this was a part of that. So to be able to meet with her and understanding a, that she had a vision vision for the position um, that the board of trustees was saying, this is a result of some of the findings that were taking place of the university over the last I don't know, 10, 10 years. So that it just seemed the timing was right. The timing was right for you to come in and take this full-time position and then me to be able to be a part of that. Wow. That's, I mean, that really is providential that the need is here, the opening, and then here you are. Um, so divine intervention. Seriously. I love that. It's beautiful. Um, so, all right, you're the, the title nine coordinator. What are some of those things that you're doing on campus and yeah, what does that look like for your life here? Yeah. So, um, I know we, I briefly said responding to, you know, complaints regarding our policy on discrimination, harassment, sexual misconduct. So I oversee that policy as well as the protection of minors policy, um, and in that, it's not just about responding. Like we said, it's about prevention awareness campaigns as well, that programming, um, getting in front of people, explaining things to them, educating them. Um, so, you know, presentations is a big part of what I do. So getting in front of with student orientation in the fall, in the spring, um, having a training that every new employee is um, required to take getting in and onboarding. So I'm in one of those sessions um, with human resources and we, t- we talk about, um, you know, the policy, expected behaviors. Um, and, you know, we get in in front of the athletes, of course, and um, households. And with our prevention awareness campaigning, we do, so this year we have the Dignity Project and that's broken up into different parts, different events, different um, resources. So, in October, we had Dating and Domestic Violence Awareness Month. January, we're going to have Stalking Awareness Month. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So during those periods, we have, we're tabling in the JC. We're giving out self-care bags with, um, with you know, snacks and, and different, you know, different little items that you need on a daily basis. But we're also providing resources in there for our office, for the confidential advocate, for, you know, off campus. Maybe just mention that. You just mentioned the confidential advocate. Just mention maybe what that is, what that person does. Yeah. So we have a confidential advocate. She is a, um, she is a professor in the social work department and she is available 
24-7 for emergencies. So um, if somebody is... As are you, correct? Yes, correct. <laughs> okay. 24-7. Um, so if somebody is experiencing um, some kind of emergency after hours, let's say, um, they would be able to call Katie um, and, you know, she can do a number of things. So she can just sit with you. You can talk to her. She can tell you what your rights and options are under the policy. She can say, okay, let's figure out, you know, next steps. What do you, what do you want to see come of this? So she can have a conversation like that and she doesn't have to, um, provide me with the details of that. So, um, under our policy, we have, we have our responsible employees. So that's everybody at the university except confidential resources. So that means if a responsible employee, so let's say a student goes to a responsible employee and says that, you know, they've been subjected to sexual violence, um, that person is required to promptly report that to me. Um, Katie, um, she's not promptly, she's not required to promptly report that. She, there are only three exceptions to her confidentiality. So if a student came and said, you know, I was at a party this weekend, this happened, she's able to have a conversation with them on okay what do you want to do let's look at you know what would happen if we went through if we went through Annie would you want to do something informally would you want to do something formally um she's also she can facilitate meetings just like I can we can facilitate meetings with law enforcement so maybe the person wants to get law enforcement involved maybe they want to initiate some kind of investigation um you know she can facilitate that you know, uh, if somebody, let's say they call late at night and they've been subjected to sexual violence and they'd like to go to the hospital, Katie can accompany them to the hospital, um, you know, be there with them, walk them through, explain what's going to happen. Um, because it can be very overwhelming for somebody who's just experienced a really traumatic mm-hmm. event to understand everything that's happening. And you feel like you're being kind of re-traumatized and you're so exposed and, you know, what is this that they're giving me? What, you know, so she can be really helpful and, um, you know, in like a hand-holding type of way um, and educating you on every step of the way what's happening and what's going to be expected. And too, she can, what's so great is having somebody there with you that can say, you know, you can stop this. Do you want, if you don't want to do this anymore, this is within your control. And that's super helpful too. Just having somebody to remind you that um, while you may have lost control over your body or or in a particular situation, that now we're going to do what we can to make sure that you control what happens next. Hmm. Yeah, it's one of those, it's one of the, the advocates, I think it's a really important individual because it provides that person that's. Um, kind of out of the process in one sense and really gives her her options and in, in understanding the the individual's options. So it provides maybe a, I don't know, a safer person, somebody that they can go to, that, that they realize that their first step is literally confidential, that, that they're not going to be able to share that with anybody. And, and I think that's important that we have that in place for the students. Um, do you have a, a sense of, you know, uh, tragically, things like this are happening on college campuses all around the country. You know, it, it, it'd be great if I could say something like that's never going to happen here. But it does. It happens everywhere, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we're not immune to the evils of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. okay. The, um, the, let, let me just say real quick, it, just listening to you talk to Annie, it, it occurred to me, there are probably few people on campus that have more touch points than you. I mean, all the employees are going to have engage you. Every employee here is going to have time with you mm-hmm. in your office. Um, all of the new students, all of the household athletes, all these various groups. So there are a few, I mean, 
Is that right? I think what? it is. Yeah, and I never thought of it that way. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> everybody, <laughs> no, everybody should know Annie. No, yeah. and, but everyone speaks so highly of you, Annie, so that's, don't be silly. Yeah, yeah. and you really help on, for everybody on campus to know what these processes are and who to talk to and when. Would you say that the confidential advocate, I mean, that's the person who's really helping the victim to know, like, yeah, like you said, they're in charge. Um, I've heard your office say, like, they drive the bus. They get to decide mm -hmm. what where they go from there. And you, would it be appropriate to say, like, you're the investigator. Like, you're the, the lawyer trying to find all the facts when they want to go there? Mm -hmm. When it's appropriate to do so. Okay. Yeah, so um, most of the time I'm able to... Um, people will come talk to me. And a lot of times people just, they want to talk, right? They're like, this is what happened. I need to share it with somebody. I want to share it with somebody. This is confidential. You know, um, I need to talk this out. And most of the time, 99% of the time, I am able to adhere to the wishes of the complainant, right? And again, I want to touch on, this is somebody who, you know, may feel like they have lost control over the very thing you're supposed to have control over, right? Your body. Um, so it's so important to me to make people feel as um, in control as possible during the process. So we want to do what's going to be best for you. Um, now, we're going to be as fair as possible, you know, to everybody involved in a situation. Um but when it's appropriate, so like when a complainant says that they would like to pursue a form, the formal process, and they would like, they would like an investigation, and then for it to go to a live hearing panel, that's when, um, that's when I will investigate, and I'll talk to the complainant, I'll talk to the respondent. So, and just if people don't know, so the respondent is the responding party, so it's the person who's alleged to have committed a policy violation. So I'll talk to both of the parties. I'll talk to any witnesses that both of them tell me to talk to. Um, and then I create this investiga investigative report. And then both of the parties um, get that report. We go over it together. And then they can give me feedback. So, oh, you know what? I want you to add this. Or, um, you know, and I add that in into the report verbatim before it goes to the hearing panel. So and they know who is the hearing panel. What is that? So the hearing panel is made up of three people. So um, typically the chairperson, the hearing panel, the third person we hire out um, with a local attorney who comes in and sits as the chairperson and um, who's responsible for writing the written decision um, after the hearing. So the, the hearing panel, these three people, um, will read the investigative report, and then we'll have, um, we'll have a live hearing, um, and they'll get to ask questions, and you know the parties get to ask questions of each other, and, um, and then at the end of that, they'll, they'll you know, take a few days, um, they will discuss it. They'll review. They'll re-review the documents. They'll listen to the recording of the hearing, um, and then they'll come out with a written decision, and it'll be given to the parties simultaneously. Um, so, so that's always an independent person from the university, right? And and that rarely happens, though. Correct. The the formal hearing. How many? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so like you said ninety nine percent of the time, you don't go that route. So I couldn't really give you an exact percentage okay. on that. 
I, but I say, you know, 99% of the time I'm able to do what the complainant wants. Okay, okay. So sometimes the complainant wants to go um, the formal That's process. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. And that's separate from like if something had to go to the police or what is the difference between that? Oh, so we can handle things simultaneously. Um, we can. Or if they, so I guess this would be like for a student on campus who's trying to make other arrangements and mm -hmm. still be a student here. Yeah, well, we work, we we will work with law enforcement. So okay. if somebody would like to pursue our formal process and they would like, um, they would like to, you know, they would like to pursue mm -hmm. um, the person, like, let's say criminally, um, we will be, you know, we're very compliant and um, we'll do everything that we can. And of course, with the timetable and, um, you know, the needs to for scheduling, stuff like that very amenable hmm. so even if we're not if there isn't like you know law enforcement involved it, you know i try to be as amenable as possible with hmm. the people involved because i understand the, you know they're going they're taking classes they're they're hmm. in sports they're in extracurricular activities so i try to make it as um you know yeah. easy as mm -hmm. possible even yeah, though yeah, it's yeah. not easy no, it's mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. I know I said that sometimes people just want to come in and they want to talk. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the times people just need to come in and they need maybe some supportive measures. So that could be living, learning, working. So that could be, listen, something happened. I, I've been really distracted. I missed class. Um, it could be I'm in the same class with somebody who was discriminating against me. It could be... Um, you know, I live right next door to somebody. Um, so it's it's working with other departments um, and making sure, that, you know, that these you know, reasonable, supportive requests are made. Um, so that's a lot of what I do and what Katie mm -hmm. does as well. You know, making sure that we, we just try to make the best educational experience or working experience because, you know, we, of course... Um, we're here for our employees as well. Mm -hmm. um, so just, you know, trying to make sure that they have the best educational or work experience mm -hmm. and granting those um, supportive measures. Um, yeah, a couple of things comes to my mind as well is that, you know, we, you spend a lot of time sharing about when an accusation is made and when there's an investigation. But a lot of your time is, is actually really proactive. And, and I think that that's what, one of the things that's important to mention is that, um, you are trying to educate the faculty and staff to educate the students. I, I, I actually, I tell every freshman student, I said, and maybe you can confirm this, 99% um, of trouble that kids get into with any kind of sexual assault is alcohol is related. Right. And if it's, and it's off campus. Mm -hmm. And I say to the kids, I said, you know, that one of the ways you can best protect yourself is don't go out and get drunk <laughs> and don't go out and, get drunk at a big party off campus. But is that accurate? That's fair to say that a large percentage of that is that? Yeah, so yeah. A, a lot of nationwide, right, sexual okay. assaults on college campuses, a major contributing factor is alcohol. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to see in the majority of complaints, again, nationwide, um, it involves, you know, either one or both of the parties yeah. uh, are intoxicated. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that, that I think Annie does really well is, is, is not just deal with situations when they arise, but also what can we do to help 
them not arise. I, mm-hmm. I remember actually, Christy, you and I were together. It was in Colorado, and I was talking about the needs of the university. And at that time, I think we total of like $100 million. It's like, we need this, we need this, we need that. And somebody raised their hand and they said, um, that must keep you up at night, Father. And, and I said, actually, that's not what keeps me up at night. What keeps me up at night is, are our kids safe? You know, mm-hmm. Are they encountering the Lord? Um, it, is the environment that they're being formed and they're being stu- and they're studying in, is that a safe environment on, on, on just so many levels, right? And that's really what, what keeps me up. And, and you know, you can do everything right and we can do everything right. And that doesn't mean that something bad is still not going to happen. And uh, a, a friend of mine who has just been a real great counsel to me over the last many years is um, she really helps counsel victims of, of f- actually family abuse as well as abuse of, of clergy. And that's one of the things that she shared with me. She said, because I was calling her one time and I was just actually really having a hard time. And she said, Father Dave, you can't stop these things from happening. She said, you can do everything and have everything in place and do the best that you can, which is what we want to do at the university. But she says, people do bad things. So the question is, is what do you do when that happens, when you find? And that's why I'm so grateful to Annie is that when something comes up, that we've got the things in place, the people in place that we can help care for the individuals and, and see that, yeah, they're respected and they're, they, they have an opportunity to heal. So mm-hmm. um, it's, it's one of the things that in, you, you also work with our mm-hmm. board of trustees, correct? You, the, you, any, right. so we've got a, a, a committee, a standing committee on our board of trustees that deals with this, with these issues as well, of which it's just lay people. There are no priests, there are no clergy on this so that they have access to Annie, even apart from me. And, and that, again, the, that's important for, to make sure that people are being able to be honest and be able to communicate with. So if somebody on my board in that committee wants to talk to Annie, they don't go to me. They can just talk to Annie. Mm -hmm. And that's an important, I think important step that we've made at the university as well. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. I just want to mention, I forgot. We also have like a multidisciplinary team. Um, So, you know, different people from different departments. Uh, And we have this campus sexual assault response team. And we all work together on the best programming what can we do how can we reach out to students and people from different departments have better ideas too if people are exposed are way more exposed to students than I am um, and they're able to um, they're they're able to tell me look I think this is how you this is how they're going to hear you you know mm-hmm. this is the language you need to speak for them to respond so that's really helpful mm-hmm. and too and showing showing people this is it's not just one person here saying this is really important we need to take this seriously um it's you know it's the major you know it's our staff it's the mm-hmm. employees the faculty people mm-hmm. are saying this is important. We're here and we're trying to do the best that we can do. We're constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You have a whole team of so, people. Yeah. And does that include the counseling center and, you know, wellness for the students? Yes. So we, we do have a counselor on our, on our team. Um, and we do do a lot with counseling and actually during domestic violence awareness month, when I was sending out, um, weekly flyers, uh, over email to the entire campus community, um, they would put them up in the counseling center as well so that people were aware here's some stuff that's going on here are some tips here are resources so we are constantly um, working with the counseling center and the counselors on making sure that we're um, serving our family the best way we can great there's a lot of people involved in it you know in a lot of meetings a lot of conversations 
Um, again, so many touch points in the university. Yeah. yeah, which so much of it and all of those people, it's confidential, right? Can you talk a little bit about just the confidentiality of the line? Like, yeah, your day to day and the, everything that you're experiencing and hearing. Right. Yeah. So um, it, you know, people come to talk to me and that they expect that I'm not going to share this right with every employee I know. Right. It's a it's a need to know basis. Um, We want to be extremely respectful of people and their stories. Um, Sometimes I have a student who said, you know, I don't care. You can talk to this person, you know, or I want you to talk to my mom. All right. Um, But, you know, that is that's a kind of a rare situation there. We are extremely conscientious of the information that's provided to us. Um, even so, sometimes we'll have a we'll have somebody come forth who says, "Listen, my friend has been subjected to this, you know, this type of misconduct, um, and I I had to tell you because I'm really worried about her." Right. So then, um, based on that information, I reach out to the friend, and the friend and I have a conversation, and she says. I do not want you to do, I don't want you to tell anybody. I don't want anything to be done. I just need this one supportive measure, right? I just need you to, I just need you to help with this absence or, um, but I don't want you to do anything. And I say, okay, if, you know, if there isn't a, a, a risk that we have to, you know, that we have to manage, um, I can say, you know, okay, I'm respectful of that. Um, and then I may have the friend come back and say, well, did you even do anything? Yeah. Because it looks like nothing's changed. Mm-hmm. You know, she's still, she's still going to this class. She's still, and it, I, you know, they aren't entitled to that information. And I'm going to respect the wishes of the person mm-hmm. who's confided a very private, intimate account to me. Um, so that's a, that's a difficult point too, is sometimes people think that nothing's been done. Um, but they're just not privy to what's been done. I would like a tweet about everything. And, you know, I feel like we live in this culture right now that everything is everybody's business. So that must be super hard for you to not, I mean, you know a lot. It's kind of like a priest in confession. Like you can't say anything. But actually you've, you've just made such a really good point is that, yeah, one of the, the buzzwords is, is transparency and, 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 I don't know exactly what that means, but I think in today's world, it means individuals have the right to know everything. And just because I think your example is really beautiful, Annie, is that just because an individual isn't doing what they think you should do or what doesn't mean that you didn't follow exactly what the individual asked you to do. Right. And that's, yeah, that's really key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Annie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you, Annie. It's, yeah, I said at the beginning, it's just a great blessing to have you here. Mm-hmm. Thank you so yeah. much. It is. So we always end. I our, get to ask some of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask her <laughs> advice and then you can do the hot takes okay, from the perfect, hill. Perfect. Um, so we always ask our alums if you have any advice for um, current students or recent grads. Uh, maybe they want to go into your field or just any advice that you would have. I love this. Um, I kind of got this advice a little differently from my grandmother, um, but it was you're not going to be the smartest person. Um, you're not going to be the most capable, right? You're not going to be just excel above all others, right? Um, and it's not about that. It's not about being the smartest or the best or the, it's about perseverance. So, 
And it may seem like, oh, you're 30. What do you know about perseverance and, and difficulties in life? Uh, well, I don't want to get into that on this podcast. <laughs> you your first year law school. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, several mental breakdowns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I have experienced a number of things that just like set me back so much. And it was just about persevering. It was just about keep like just mm-hmm. keep going. Um, it's kind of like the bee. My grandmother gave me this little pin of a of a bee, and it was um, that bees de- de- ugh, defy <laughs> the laws of <laughs> physics, um, and that because of the size of their body and their wings, mm-hmm. they're not supposed to be able to fly. Um, and so, th- but they do. And she told me, you know, you just fly. You just do it, even if it seems impossible. You just keep mm-hmm. doing it. That's cool. That's great. So, okay, a couple. I get to ask uh, hot takes. Favorite class when you're at the university? Okay, my favorite class because I was a history major yeah. was African American history. With who? Who taught that? With Dr. Doyle. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was an amazing. Was Dr. Carrick here when you were here, or had he already retired? No, he already retired. Oh, you missed him. But I got I got his history scholarship. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> That's great. Dr. Carrick was was he here when you were here? Never mind. Maybe I'm that old. Okay, cool. Your favorite meal in the calf. Ah, you didn't see that coming. Ooh. Oh my gosh. Can I honestly, yeah. what I ate the majority of the time Cereal. when I was here was the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches from the little cart in Egan. Oh, okay. But I don't even think that they serve those anymore. The like Smuckers Uncrustables? No, they were like, <laughs> oh. they were packaged like by the, oh, they by were the pe- yeah, it was peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Okay, we'll look into that. All which right. is so lame. Favorite place on campus to study? The second floor of the library where it's like. Where you right like at the over top and you can see over. Mm. Yes. Right okay, there. I, the library was built when I was a student here. In fact, there's a horrible picture of me as a student in this multicolored shirt <laughs> over it, kind of with the new library behind us. And it wasn't, wasn't even actually done. So my friends still mock me about that. Uh, but I, I didn't visit the library a lot. Funny thing about the library, when the, when the library was first built, there was a phone in the elevator of the library that actually was an outside line that they didn't realize. So students realized this was before everyone had their own phone. They could go into that phone, make long distance calls, call home and the university was paying for it. Uh, That got fixed. That got fixed. I actually (laughs) saw that outside the library, they have that like return um, box. It still has the label on it that says like return cassette tapes and VHSs here. Well, (laughs) they should have a place to return them. Okay. On that note, um, have you ever ran into an, an alum in an unexpected place? Okay, so this is kind of an interesting story. So last week I was talking to our, um, our, you know, assistant director of residence life and Sarah mm-hmm. and she, we have been working so closely on so many things. We went to a conference together in Chicago, a, a Midwest campus safety summit. And last week she told me, I just had this vision. I, I met you before we started working here. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said back in 20, I think it was like 2013. She's like, I met a girl in an, in the airport in Dallas who was like, so do you funny. go to Franciscan? You should join the sorority there. We're so awesome. And she was like, and her name was Annie. And that that was you. And so. <laughs> was it really? Yeah. So that's she was so like, funny. I can't believe I didn't remember that. So I just, that's an odd little run in there. That's awesome. That's Airports awesome. are like the number one meetup for <laughs> Franciscan well, I mean, that's alum. Not, that's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's not wrong. Yeah. It happens often in my world. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, that's cool. 
That's cool. Right. Thanks for letting me be your co-host. I, well, thank you for filling in. Um, and yeah, for yeah, joining as, us. As possible. It's my pleasure. Thank well, you, Annie, for all you so, do. Yeah, thank, thank you, Annie, for sharing and for uh, the ministry and the good work that you do. We appreciate it. It's a blessing for me to be here. So, well, thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Legends from the Hill. If you liked this conversation, please share it with an alumni you think would also enjoy it. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Franciscan Alumni to stay up to date on events in your area and news on campus. Do you know an alumni who has a story to tell? We want to hear legends from throughout our 75-year history. Email us suggestions for the podcast at alumni at franciscan.edu. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Legends from the Hill. Thank you.